Well, it's great to see you this afternoon. My name's John T, for those who don't, who don't know, and uh, it's my joy to be one of the leaders here and to have the privilege of opening up God's Word this afternoon. And I'd love you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, on page 1150. One Corinthians chapter uh, nine, page one one five zero, and uh, I just want to r- remind you where we are. Um, one Corinthians kind of breaks down into chunks of teaching, and we started a new chunk last week. So just look at chapter eight, verse one, with me. Chapter eight, verse one. Chapter eight, verse one says this. Now about food sacrificed to idols. Okay, that is the big theme of chapters 8, 9, and 10 of 1 Corinthians. Food sacrificed to idols is the big theme of chapters 8, 9, and 10. And I get that food sacrificed to idols doesn't feel like a big deal to us. And I think it was a bit of a strain last week. And I think at the end of last week, I was left a little bit unsettled about why this is such a big deal. And last week, we saw this contrast between knowledge and love. We saw that knowledge makes people proud and puffed up, but love builds others up. That's what we saw last week. But we still had this slight confusion over why why the big deal over food sacrifice to idols. Well, I think I've spent more time thinking about it this week. So I want to get this clear. And I want to say, this is not a small issue in Corinth. It's easier to sort of say, okay, this is sort of those, those issues like, can a Christian get a tattoo? Well, some Christians disagree, so it might be better not to. Can Christians smoke? Well, some Christians disagree, it'd be better not to. And we can almost relegate it to that sort of an issue. That is not the issue in 1 Corinthians. We're not talking about a secondary issue that doesn't matter. We are talking about something which is of primary significance in the church in Corinth. How do I know that? Because Paul spent three chapters talking about it. This is a three-chapter problem. This was a massive issue Idol worship was a massive issue in Corinth. It's what everyone in Corinth did. It was the social life, right? It's what you did. What should we do today? Let's go to the temple. Let's go and eat food sacrificed to idols. The idol temples were places of feasting and sexual immorality. That's what happened there. The big temple, okay, we've just got to get some of this clear. The big temple in Corinth was to the Greek god Aphrodite. Aphrodite, the god of love, the god of passion, the god of sex. That was the great temple in Corinth. In fact, we're told in earlier times that the temple of Aphrodite acquired such wealth that it owned over 1,000 slaves. That is, 1,000 women dedicated to the the goddess for sex and entertainment. So you've got this at the heart of the culture in Corinth. The temple, idolatry, the worship of foreign gods, eating food, sacrificed to idols. And it was just part of everyday life. It's what you did. 
And the church in Corinth are just plunging themselves into the Corinthian culture. They're waving their little flags that say freedom. Woohoo, woohoo, let's go, let's go to the temple. And they're throwing themselves in. They are indulging in the life of the world around them. Can you begin to see why it's a big issue? They're eating food sacrificed to idols. They are joining in the worship of idols in Corinth. It's a serious thing. And last week we saw that the no-much Christians, the mature Christians, the ones who know lots, were taking the lead and were leading the weaker Christians into sin. They should have been the Christians going, no, we don't do this. We don't worship idols. We don't join in. Yes, we know that idols are nothing and we know there's only one true God. But we don't plunge ourselves into and indulge ourselves in the culture of Corinth. And so the no little Christians, the weak Christians, were being led into terrible sin. There are three chapters on this because it is a three-chapter problem. Perhaps it becomes easier now to see what we're dealing with. Let me ask you a question. Do we live in a city like Corinth? Do we live in a city that worships idols? Yes, we do. What are the gods of London? What are the gods that our city worships? What are the gods that our city offers ourselves to? The god of materialism, the god of pleasure, the god of success, the god where we bow ourselves down, where we plunge ourselves into everything that the gods of this world have to offer. And we wave our little flags that are labelled Christian freedom. I'm free because Jesus died for me and therefore I can plunge myself into materialism, into sexual pleasure, into whatever the idolatry happens to be. Listen, are we not tempted to eat food from these temples? You are tempted to eat food sacrificed to idols every single day. This is why it's such a big deal. And perhaps sometimes to charge into these things things saying, I'm free. In the name of freedom, I simply throw myself into the world of whatever I want. In the name of knowledge, I will excuse my sin. And Paul says, in the name of love, stop. Your so-called knowledge is destroying people. And chapter 9 is the same argument. He's going to keep going with this argument. And it's going to get clearer as we get into chapter 9. And then when we get into chapter 10, it gets even clearer that this is what he's saying. You are simply plunging into an idolatry and joining in with the culture around you. So I hope that clarifies something of what is going on here. This is why it's so important, why it matters so much. So let's read chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. And I warn you, at first sight, you say, well, it's got nothing to do with anything you've just said. Because Paul starts talking about himself and about apostles and all that sort of stuff. Let's read it. And then we'll see that it must must be part of his argument uh, that he's building up for this church. So here we go, chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, Surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. 
This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I've not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Okay. It feels a little bit disjointed and weird at this point, okay? But we're going to put it all together. What Paul does in chapter 9 is he says, you need to understand what freedom really means. Freedom is not about having a big brain that says, I know all this stuff and therefore I'll do whatever I want. Last week we saw that knowledge is surpassed by love. Love trumps knowledge. This week we're going to see what true freedom really looks like. And Paul does this by pointing at himself. You want to know what freedom really means? Our culture is obsessed with freedom. You have the right to do anything you want. You're free to do whatever you want. Well, Paul has got something different to say. And I think it's quite surprising. And Paul is unpacking an attitude that we need to get clear. I've got two points. The first thing uh, is this. I am entitled. That's the first point. I am entitled. Seems to me to be very clearly what Paul is saying. He starts off by saying, am I not free? Now, we sort of love our rights, don't we? They matter to us. I've got rights. I've got rights, you know. Sometimes we say that sort of thing. Sort of thing. Perhaps you haven't said that recently. But, you know, when someone gets a bigger bit of cake than you, there is something in you that sort of goes, I've got rights. <laughs> I deserve, I am entitled to an equivalent piece of cake to them. Perhaps it isn't such a trivial thing. But we have a very clear sense of what we deserve. 
And when someone else gets a bigger piece of the pie than we do, it really annoys our ego. This little part of us inside us, this part of us which is obsessed with ourselves, gets very wound up. It's an attack on our ego. And the little ego starts running around like a Yorkshire Terrier dog, yapping. Angry. He's got more than you. He's got more than you deserve. More. How dare they treat you like that? You've got rights, you know. And it's one of the things that drives our culture. Make sure you get what you're entitled to. Get what you are entitled to. I actually find it quite stressful. It's like when I go into a shop to buy a meal deal. Right, so I go to Tesco's. I think I'm going to get a meal deal today. Treat myself. (laughs) Here is a sad admission. I do not choose what I most want. I choose what is most expensive. Because I don't want to lose out in any way, shape or form. I will get the most expensive sandwich, the most expensive snack and the most expensive drink. Because then, I think I've really got everything that I could possibly have got out of this meal deal. Got it all. And I feel smug. And as I eat my chicken satay dipper things, which I don't even like, but these would have cost £1.50 if I'd bought them separately. Now some of you think I'm mad. But most of you do the same. (laughs) And this week, when you're going for a meal deal, you will definitely do the same. But it is this part of us that says, I'm entitled. I want to get everything that is rightly mine. My human rights. You're infringing my basic human right. I have the right to be happy. I have the right to not be offended. And do you know what? Paul doesn't dismiss it. In fact, Paul is pretty strong. Paul says, let me set out my rights for you. I've got some rights, Paul said. I want to teach you this attitude. So first of all, you need to understand my rights, Paul says. I am entitled. Look what he says in verses 1 to 5. Here we go. Let's work our way through it. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul is saying, I I have been sent, that's what the word apostle means, I've been sent by Jesus, I've been given responsibility, I've been given a position by Jesus to be an apostle. In Corinth, I came to you and I preached the gospel to you and as I preached, you believed in Jesus and the church was born. You are the seal of my apostleship. You're the proof of the genuine article of my apostleship because when I preached, the church was born. You're evidence of who I really am. You're the seal. Like the kite mark that you get on various things to prove that they're genuine. You're my kite mark. You're the ones that I point to and say, look, I truly am an apostle because look, the church in Corinth. He goes on in verse 3. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? You see, there are those in Corinth 
who've come along and said, oh, that Paul, he's nothing, you know. He's nothing that important. He's nothing that special. He's not a great preacher. He's not that important. He's not that significant. There's much more important people coming. You should listen to them. They're much more impressive. We saw that right back in chapters 1 to 4, yeah? The human wisdom. Look at all these powerful arguments. Paul says, no, this is my argument. We have the right to food and drink. Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as the other apostles do, and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right? He says, look, at, they're allowed to. We have that right. I'm entitled to these things as an apostle. It's not some kind of weird, you must go without them, Paul. You have no right to this, you have no right to that. Becoming a Christian doesn't strip you of all your rights. Becoming an apostle doesn't strip you of your rights. I mean, you haven't got a leg to stand on anymore. You've got to shut up and take what you're given. Paul says, no, I have the right to these things. Food and drink, to a wife, to a family, I have a right. So he says, I'm entitled to these things. And then he comes up with four reasons why he's entitled. He really lays this on. First he says, it's common sense. I'm entitled, it's just common sense. Look at verse 7. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Everybody knows this. It's just common sense. If you work at something, you deserve to... Look, how many of you have heard of the red little hen, little red hen? Right, the little red hen is a book for children. We teach our children this. If you don't know the story of the little red hen, it basically goes like this. There was a little red hen. And the little red hen was hungry and wanted some bread, so planted some corn and said to all the other animals, will you help me? They said no. It's not a very nice book. And so the little red hen planted all the things. Then she came to harvest. Harvested and all the other ones. Will you help me? No. So she harvested it all. Then she threshes it. Will you help me? No. This is fairly predictable, this. It's not, it's not even got a surprising end. Uh, will you bake the bread? She bakes the bread. No one helps. No one helps. No one helps. Her. At the end, she makes her uh, bread. She gets the bread and everyone wants to eat it and she says, no. See, we, that's it, right? We teach our kids this. If you work, you deserve to get paid for it. If you don't work, you don't get nothing. That's just the way it goes. So Paul says, it's common sense. If you plant a vineyard, of course you're going to eat its grapes. If you work, you're entitled to get paid for it. This is going to be Paul's argument. I'm an apostle, I'm serving Jesus, I'm working to preach the gospel to you, so I'm entitled to get paid for it, Paul says. Not only is it common sense, it's also in God's law. Look at the next bit. Look at verse 8. Do I say this merely on human authority? Is it just little red hen that teaches us this? No, says Paul. Big blue oxen says it. No, <laughs> big brown oxen says it too. It's written. Does the law say the same thing? It's written in the law of Moses. Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. It's written in the law. God's concerned about this. So common sense tells you, and so does God's law. When you've got an ox and it's treading the grain, don't stop it eating the grain. It should be allowed to eat as it treads. Isn't that a great law? What a great God we have. Don't starve the poor little oxen. The oxen is working for you, therefore let it eat. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? No, because they can't read. Surely, it's about us. 
God says this for us, doesn't he? Now, before we all get kind of like, oh, that's a shame, because I thought God was concerned about oxen. He is concerned about oxen. The argument is, if, he, if he's worried about an oxen getting food, surely he's going to be worried about, this is true for human beings. This law is written to argue from the lesser to the greatest. If you don't muzzle an oxen, well, then you shouldn't, you should give a worker what they are owed. I'm entitled, Paul says, to get paid to enjoy benefits from the work that I do. This is what Paul is saying over and over again. And so, at the end of verse 10, this was written for us, for whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we've sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? He said, look, common sense and the law say that if I work and serve Jesus by preaching the gospel, then I deserve to get blessing from you. I deserve to get paid. Okay? Fairly clear? So far, this is a great sermon. I think this is an outstanding sermon, which I'm enjoying very much to preach. Uh, (laughs) Next, third thing. Um, We're going to skip the end of verse 12, because that's where it gets a little bit more messy. Uh, verse 13, here's the third reason. Um, because this was the way the temple was set up. So it's common sense, it's the law, it's the temple. This has always been the way that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple. Read it in the Old Testament over and over again. We're being told this is the pattern, this is the pattern. And fourthly, and in some ways this is a knockdown argument, this is what Jesus said too. Verse 14, in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Jesus said that. A worker deserves his wages. That's the words from the lips of Jesus. So Paul is fairly clear on his rights. And at this point, we might be thinking, well, this is a slightly awkward letter for Paul to have written. I've given you four reasons why you must pay me. So let's apply this carefully. Should you pay the pastor? Yes, it says in my notes. Yes, very much so. You see, now, seriously, actually, gospel work is to be valued. All work is to be valued. This is what we're learning at Cultivate midweek at Focus. All work is to be valued if your work is Uh, accountancy or hairdressing or preaching the gospel, it is to be valued. You are to be paid for the work you do. There is a danger sometimes that people do not value Christian work and pay for it in the same way that they do secular work. Sometimes we expect a Christian designer to do stuff for free because they're Christians. And at the same time, we are undervaluing what their work is worth because the worker deserves his wages and her wages. If you wouldn't muzzle your oxen, then don't muzzle your designers. <laughs> this would be a little slogan for our church. But you see, this is the principle. We need to value the work highly. And Paul says, you need to value my ministry among you highly, Paul says. It really matters. It's significant. And if that was the end of the sermon, it would be a little awkward and the one-to-one questions, 121 questions would be things like, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. 
But that is not the point of chapter 12. The point, uh, point of chapter 9. The point of chapter 9 is not pay your pastor. Although many pastors would use this as one of their favorite places to go for that particular point. Because verse 12, the end of verse 12, is like a bolt out of the blue. Just look at Feel the weight of that. Paul has laid it on thick because he wants you to feel this. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul says, there is something that matters more to me than my rights. I've set out my rights to to you, and my ego is going, they should pay you, they should pay you, but there is something which supersedes the rights. Remember last week, knowledge, but love. Here it is, entitlement, but something greater. What is the greater thing? The thing that for Paul consumes him more than his own rights, more than his own entitlement, more than the stuff that he thinks he deserves. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul says that the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, is so precious to him that he would forgo all of his rights in order for the gospel to be preached. You see, Paul is consumed by the idea of the gospel. He's consumed by this message. What is the message of the gospel? The message of the gospel is Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. We preach the message of Jesus who died on a cross to save sinners. There is nothing more precious in all the world. It outplays and overdoes and trumps all of your rights. Something so precious, Paul says. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And then he says it again in verse 15, in case we're not sure. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. Paul says, whatever you do, don't send me more money. That's, if you send me more money, if you pay me more, that's wrong. You've misunderstood my point. I have rights, but I'm not asking for more money. Look at verse 16. For when I preach the gospel, when I speak of Christ crucified, when I tell people this message, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I'm simply discharging the trust committed to me. Paul says, when I preach the gospel, I'm not doing it simply because I think, well, I I think I'm going to preach the gospel and see if I can make some money. That's how the other apostles, that's how the other uh, preachers worked in Corinth. We'll come with an impressive message and try and get money out of you. Paul says, no, I'm compelled to, I have to preach. Because Paul says, and here's the key word, Paul says, I have been entrusted with this gospel. So Paul says, I am, not, I am entitled, but above and beyond that, I am entrusted. 
And the shift that he wants to get them to see is the move from entitlement to entrustedness. That's the shift. I don't preach voluntarily, Paul says. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. Do you you understand the difference between a volunteer and and a worker, right? A volunteer and someone who's compelled to do something. If I, look, sometimes I go to um, the supermarket. We've gone to the supermarket a lot today. I apologize for my... Occasionally I go to the supermarket just to browse. I choose to go. And I wander the aisles. I realize this, this may not be strictly speaking true, but the illustration will work really well if this is true. So go with this as an illustration. I go to meander the aisles, and it's, I find it therapeutic to walk up and down the aisles of the supermarket and just to look what's on offer and to see what there is, just to peruse. And I wander up and down, and it's a happy time. And I look at the various things, and eventually I get tired and I'm bored and I leave. And I say, thank you, that's been a happy time. That's one way of approaching the supermarket. There are other times when it's not like that at all. I'm sent with a list. I am compelled. Now it changes everything. Now there is something to be done. I have a trust that I must fulfill. There is stuff that I have to get. I have to do what's on the list. And when I get tired of wandering up and down the aisles, I have to keep going. Because there's a list to be fulfilled. I am compelled. And when I can't find the tomato puree, because it's not next to the tomato ketchup, which is just bonkers. And because they put it with the pasta somewhere else, I have to keep going. I'm compelled. If I do it voluntarily, I just leave. I say, fine, I'll just leave your tomato puree. I don't care. But if I'm compelled, And Paul says, you have to understand that when Christ saved me, when Christ gave me the gospel, when I saw the beauty of Jesus, it so consumed me that I am now compelled by this gospel. I've given up all my rights for this one thing. I'm simply discharging. I'm not interested in my reward. I'm not interested in what I'm going to get for it. I'm not interested in how much you're going to pay me. I'm not interested in my status, my position, my power. In fact, Paul says the only thing, the only reward I want, look at verse 18, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Paul says that's, that's it. I want to be able to offer this gospel free of charge. It's so brilliant, so beautiful, so perfect, so wonderful, so life-changing, magnificent and glorious that I want to be able to offer it to anyone and everyone free of charge. Don't pay, don't pay me. The gospel is free. And we may say, well, Paul, that's very, very interesting and good for you. But this is what I've been puzzling on this week. Those verses, how do they relate to us? If we're Christians, if we're trusting Jesus, how do they relate to us? Do we preach voluntarily? Do we live voluntarily? Or are we compelled by the gospel too? Well, I think it's absolutely imperative to Paul's argument 
But he says, and you need to follow my example. You need to see yourselves not purely as entitled, but as much more than that as entrusted. Yes, you are entitled. You are free. You have massive blessing. You have glorious blessing in Christ. But above and beyond that, you have been entrusted with the most precious thing in the universe, the gospel of Christ. And if you're not sure that that's what Paul is getting at, then chapter 11, verse 1 makes the point. Chapter 11, verse 1, at the end of this section, he says, follow my example. I'm setting you an example to follow, Paul says. So when you see all around you in Corinth, you see the idol worship and you're tempted by the, the, the pleasure and the success and all the stuff you see around you, and you may be tempted to think, well, I'm entitled to that. Paul says to you, no. The gospel, the gospel is so precious, so beautiful that you let go of all your rights in order to offer this gospel to the world. And I think perhaps the most staggering thing and the thing that has blown my mind this week and, and it's just I, this is where I want to end. I want to end with this. I want to end with us worshipping here. Because chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Because actually what Paul does in chapter 9 is exactly what Christ did. Can I reread you chapter 9 but place it on the lips of Jesus rather than the lips of Paul? Just listen to this. Perhaps even close your eyes and allow the words. I'm going to take the words of the Apostle Paul who is simply following the example of Christ. I'm going to show you how these words map so clearly and directly onto the very attitude of Christ Jesus himself. Perhaps close your eyes and even as I read this, perhaps worship Jesus. It's not long, but even as I read it, just worship Jesus. So perhaps you can picture Jesus saying, Am I not free? Am I not the eternal Son of God? Am I not entitled to the worship of angels? Do I not have the right to sit on the throne of the universe? But I did not use this right. On the contrary, I put up with everything in order that you might be saved. I put up with hunger. I put up with betrayal. I put up with mockery and even death on a cross. I did not use any of my rights. And what is my reward? Just this. That through my cross, through my suffering, I may offer you forgiveness free of charge. This is Christ. This is what Jesus has done. This is the heart of the gospel that Christ gave up all of his rights to offer you life free of charge. Throughout his life, Jesus said no to his ego, no to his, you deserve better than this, you deserve better than this. He said no, 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 no. I will give up my rights because I've been entrusted with the most precious mission of all to save humanity. 
say this afternoon, Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything more than he has done himself. And perhaps for us, we need to learn what it is to give up our rights. Oh yes, we're entitled to many things. But we've been entrusted with the most precious gospel. And perhaps there are times when you feel that little irritation. I deserve this. I deserve to have a night off. I deserve to have some peace and quiet. I deserve for people to appreciate me. And it's at that point you've got to say, shut up. Just stop. The gospel is what matters. I will give my life preaching this gospel. I think it's because guys understood this, that they went off and gave their lives, literally gave their lives for this gospel. Guys like Jim Elliott who went off to the serve the Alcar Indians. Do I not have the right to a comfortable life? Do I not have the right to live my life in peace and safety? Yes, I have the right, but I will give up my rights in order to entrust the gospel, in order to give the gospel free of charge. Oh, that we would be a church that offers the gospel freely to people. Says, come drink, come eat, come live. So let's not chase after the gods of London this week. Let's not chase after the gods of success and money and comfort and pleasure and fame. Set aside those rights and instead take care of the most precious thing we've been entrusted with. And pray we'd offer it to the world, free of charge. At great cost to ourselves. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask for your forgiveness for all the times when we've acted like we're kind of volunteers. You know, we've done stuff when we feel like it, but not when we don't. And we've done as much as we feel like we ought to, but we haven't done any more. Forgive us because it shows how often this sense of entitlement, this sense of my, my right, has such a hold on us. And Father, we pray that we would move from seeing ourselves simply as an entitled people to seeing ourselves as an entrusted people who through Jesus have been given the most precious thing. And that, Father, we would delight in this thing, delight in this gospel, delight in this Jesus who gave up all his rights for us. Help us to worship him and pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.